Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James, along here uh, with Dan from Georgia. This is Genesis to Revelation. Today is May 21, 2022, and we are picking up with Joshua chapter 12. And uh, uh, But before we do that, we're going to be reading from some very interesting history because it's very, becoming very, very evident with the uh, discovery of the uh, the, uh, the curse tablet at Mount Ebal, you know, with uh, uh, the name of Yahweh inscribed in it, and dated to 1406 BC, and uh, the uh, various Tel El Amarna letters that are being discovered and talked about, uh, and various other uh, archaeological discoveries proving for once and for all, without any dispute that the exodus really did happen and the invasion of Canaan land under Joshua really did happen. That's what we're talking about in the book of Joshua today. So there's this wonderful article here uh, called the Shiloh Excavations uh, from the Associates for Biblical Research. I'll plug this article into the chat room. And so, Dan, why don't you pick it up? Uh, You know, let's see, it's, it's a fairly long article, so we don't want to do the whole thing. But maybe okay. take it to uh, sections one and two, and then uh, you know we'll break off from that. Okay, over to you. Okay, uh, here we go. Undoubtedly, one of the hot, hottest topics in the field of Old Testament Old Testament biblical studies in recent years is the dating of the Exodus. Essentially, there are two prevailing positions: the early Exodus view, which contends that the Israelite Exodus transpired during the middle of the 15th century BC. And the late Exodus view, which purports that the Israelites actually left Egypt nearly 200 years later, during the 13th century B.C. On the side of the latter view, biblical archaeologists such as James Hoffmeyer contend that a 13th century B.C. Exodus better fits the material evidence, in large part due to alleged connections between sites mentioned in the biblical text, such as the story city of Ramses, Exodus chapter 1, verse 11, which he asserts is likely to be equated with Delta Capital built by and named for Ramses II, that is, Pi Ramses, and excavated or identifiable sites in Egypt. Okay, so that's only a dispute about the exact date, but uh, I'm pretty well sure (laughs) that we're, uh, we're talking about 1406 B.C. as the year of the invasion of Canaan, but be that as it may, please continue. On the side of the former view, the biblical archaeologists such as Bryant Wood argue that the Exodus must have occurred in the middle of the 15th century B.C. since the ordinal number 480th in 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 1 only can be understood literally. Contra-allegorically, as late Exodus proponents suggest, Wood, who maintains pre- who, who mainly presents archaeological evidence to support his case, even declares that the 13th century Exodus conquest model is no longer tenable. Very good. Thus, the, yeah, the yeah. battle over the proper dating of the Exodus and conquest continues to wage. While this debate cannot be settled in the present article, nor can space be devoted here to the issue of the alleged Ramside connections with the store city of Ramses, or the problem of archaeology not being able to provide any traces of Israelites in Canaan before the Iron Age, shortly before 1200 B.C. An examination of one aspect of this issue is in order, namely the destruction of Hazor that is recorded in Joshua chapter 11. The importance of Hazor's contribution to the debate on the timing of the Exodus cannot be underestimated as Hazor provides the only possible evidence for an Israelite conquest of Canaan in the late 13th century B.C. The initial Israelite conquest of Canaan under Joshua included three cities that were destroyed and put to the torch. Hazor in Joshua chapter 11, verses 10 and 11, Jericho in Joshua chapter 6, verses 21 through 24, and I in Joshua chapter 8, verses 18 and 19. Hazor, strategically located on the Great Trunk Road, which is the main commercial highway that cut through Canaan and was part of the principal military route throughout the Late Bronze Age, 
approximately 1550 to 1200 BC, thus is at the center of the debate over the timing of the Exodus, since it was both destroyed by Joshua and destroyed in the 13th century BC. The biblical text requires that the former is true, while archaeology requires that the latter is true. The matter that will be discussed here, however, is whether these destructions are distinct or one and the same. This study may go a long way toward determining whether or not the exodus and conquest transpired in the 13th century B.C. Okay, well, 14th century B.C. ended roughly around, you know, 1406 B.C., and then the 13th century B.C., you know, starting from uh, 1399, it's uh, evident that uh, right after the beginning of the 13th century B.C., uh, when all the 13, or actually 14th century BC, <laughs> yeah, got my terminology straight here. Anyway, from 1399 forward, you know, you count down, you don't count up in, in BC reckoning. Uh, 1406 BC as the date of the conquests is, uh, I think, the, the most appropriate. Okay, back to you. Okay. Ancient Hazor consisted of a large rectangular lower city, 170 acres and a bottle-shaped upper city, 30 acres, essentially an elongated mound called a tail, which rises about 40 meters above the surrounding plain. Yigael Yadin, the archaeologist who excavated Hazor, excavated at Hazor from 1955 to 1958 and 1968 to 1969, documented the great conflagration that accompanied the total destruction of the final late Bronze Age city, which he believed to have occurred by circa 1233 B.C. Evidence of this destruction consists of layers of ashes, burnt wooden beams, cracked basaltic slats, mutilated basaltic statues, and fallen walls. Yadin's findings in the lower city confirm that public structures such as the Orthostats Temple and the Stalay Temple were violently destroyed, while the renewed excavations in the upper city under current excavator Amnon Bentor corroborate the existence of a fierce conflagration that also is most limited is mostly limited to public buildings. This includes both the monumental cultic edifices and the administrative palatial buildings, all of which served as the foci of religious and civil power and wealth at the height of the Canaanite Hazor in the 13th century B.C. Very good. Seemingly, the smaller scale domestic and cultic buildings in the lower city were not similarly burned or violently destroyed, though the campaign did include the decapitation of basaltic statues of gods and kings and probably also the smashing of ritual vessels found in the temples. The intentional nature of the desecration of these statues and vessels is clear. This was a systemic annihilation campaign against the very physical symbols of the royal ideology and its loci of ritual legitimation. This desecratory Desecratory destruction there you go. is you got it. <laughs> attributed to the Israelites, as argued by both Yadin and Ben Tor. Kitchen agrees, declaring that neither the Egyptians, Canaanites, nor Sea peoples destroyed LB Hazor. The early Hebrews remain a feasible option. Okay. Moreover, Yadin went as far as to make a connection between this particular destruction and the text of Joshua 11. This destruction is doubtless to be ascribed to the Israelite tribes as related in the book of Joshua. Amen. All right. In Sharon Zuckerman's wonderful article that whets the appetite of all those awaiting the disclosure of Canaanite Hazor's cuneiform archives, she challenges the notion that the Israelites were the actual culprits behind the destruction of the final Canaanite city of the late Bronze Age, arguing that an internal revolt instead led to the city's annihilation. This longtime senior staff member at the Hazor excavations suggests that Hazorite rulers and elites enforced a dominant ideology, which the populace contested, resisted, and ultimately revolted against due to the political and religious impositions. While she notes that the other 
of the two possible explanations for this destruction is military conquest. She completely rules out this option because there is no archaeological evidence of warfare, such as human victims or weapons, anywhere in the site. Zuckerman's theory aside, most maximalistic archaeologists and conservative biblical scholars attribute this destruction to the Israelites, mainly due to the intentional desecration of shrines and cultic objects, including decapitation and the severing of the hands of the cultic figures and idols which is considered a practice unique to Israel. Okay, so it's possible that this town was already sparsely populated and the people just fled (laughs) when they saw the oncoming Israelites, okay? That's another possibility. Mm -hmm. All right, okay, back to you. The destroyer's identity. Citing Judges chapter 4, verse 24, Wood argues that the Israelites destroyed the Hazor of this era under the leadership of Deborah and Barak. However, Hoffmeyer refuses to assign this Israelite destruction to Deborah and Barak, objecting that Wood invented an attack on Hazor not claimed in the text. Judges chapter 4, Hoffmeyer states, The text is absolutely silent regarding any military action against Hazor itself. So, there is no basis to believe that the destruction of the final LB. 1-1-B, late, 19, late 13th century city, was caused by Deborah's and Barak's triumph over Jabin and Sisera. Hoffmeyer correctly observes that the text does not expressly state that the Israelites destroyed the city, but his argument from silence cannot prove that Hazor was destroyed during the judgeships of Deborah and Barak. Okay, well, it was not author, destroyed. Yeah, I can't prove it either way. Yeah, yeah okay. Go ahead. Yeah. The biblical author used the verb karath, Judges chapter 4, verse 24, which features high-fill stem, implying a complete cutting off. Thus, the demise of Jabin was decisive and final. So that would have been uh, caused by the Israelites when they invaded Canaan land and not later, as uh, this other uh, ark. But uh, the nice thing here is that nobody's disputing that the Israelites destroyed these areas. That's no longer, it's no longer a weather, it's only about when. Back to you. Right. Yeah. The Israelites went harder and harder against Jabin until they killed him, meaning they grew stronger and stronger in relation to Hazor until they were able to defeat its king. Yet could the mere killing of the king who controlled this entire region be seen as a victory that would earn its way onto the pages of Judges? Certainly the Israelites' fight was not a personal vendetta against the king himself as a man, but rather against the city of Hazor and its influence in northern Canaan. In truth, exterminating Hazor's king alone would be a hollow and meaningless victory for the agents of God's wrath. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. As mentioned already, archaeology reveals that the very peak of Hazor's might throughout the entire Canaanite era was achieved at this time, which is confirmed by the epigraphical evidence from the Amarna letters, in which Hazor's king is the only Canaanite ruler referred to as a king in letters written to the Egyptian pharaoh. Okay, so the other uh, were probably mayors or rulers over cities? And, uh, you know, all, uh, they were all walled cities in those days. So that's probably the case. Yeah. So Jabin or Jabin was the, uh, local king over all of these cities, apparently. All right. Back to you. Considering Hazor's exalted status in Canaan from the middle of the 14th century BC through the second third of the 13th century BC, a period of over a hundred years, Hazor represented the most imposing national threat to the Israelites in the promised land. The strength of Jabin's army and that of the lesser vassal cities of the surrounding area was what the Israelites finally overcame, resulting in the king's death. Hoffmeyer fails to recognize the main issue in the conquest narratives of Joshua and Judges, the defeat of cities, Joshua chapter 11, verse 12, in Joshua chapter 11, verse 33. No, that, judges. Ex- that was judges 11.33. I'm sorry, Judges 11.33. <laughs> yeah. The, ex- the extermination of peoples, Joshua chapter 11, verse 20, and the acquisition of land, Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, verse 6, and chapter 12, verse 1. 
The king's death indubitably is logically connected to the conquest and to the subsequent destruction and or enocious rendering of Hazor. In light of the emphasis on this fortified city and its unequivocal regional influence, the cutting off also must include Hazor, not purely the death of its king. The Israelites experienced a decisive and final victory over Hazor, which eradicated its powerful king and eliminated Hazor's influence over the territory of northern Canaan, where its sovereignty had posed a suppressive threat to the expanding Israelites. Now, the, I like the tone of the narrative here, where the author does not question the fact that Yahweh ordered the extermination of these people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, most of your Judeo Christians say, "Oh, that evil God Yahweh, He just He killed ruthlessly, <laughs> ordered mm-hmm. the Israelites to exterminate." Well, there's a reason, right? And fortunately, this author well, does. It, it, yeah, if go you ahead. don't understand the beginning of the Bible and this yeah. satanic seed line, right? Then you'll never understand that the reason for all these wars. That's why it was done. It's That's because right. They had this satanic seed line within them. So. Mm-hmm. And the Israelites knew it. <laughs> yeah, right. the Israelites then knew it. Yeah. They don't know it. Then, today. No, no, not anymore. Exactly. Right? Yeah, just a few of us. Okay, very yeah. good. Even if all of this evidence fails to be persuasive. The text of Joshua 12 should tip the scales for any objective reader. In this chapter, the author provides a king list, which is an account of all the monarchs defeated by God under the service of Moses and Joshua. In the introduction to the king list, a common type of record kept by ancient Near Eastern, hereafter A&E, conquerors, the text notes that these are the kings of the land whom the sons of Israel killed and whose land they possessed, Joshua chapter 12, verse 1. For the biblical writer of Joshua, the smiting of a king is inextricably bound to the acquisition and possession of his land. Should the writer of Judges be expected to depart from this standard? Surely the territorial land controlled by Hazor was the prize that Israel won, and that could not have been acquired without military action against Hazor itself. Thus, Wood is exactly correct when stating, the destruction of Jabin implies the destruction of his capital city, Hazor. Unless one were to theorize that the Israelites somehow frightened the entire city's population into fleeing in panic, never to return. Which was my guess earlier, right? Which was your, yeah, yeah. you you said that earlier. Okay. Which isn't out of the question at all. No, it's not. Okay. Good. Undoubtedly, Hoffmeyer's aversion to this reality is due to his need to reconcile the archaeological remains at Hazor with the late Exodus theory, uh-huh. since the destruction under Deborah and Barak would require the archaeology of Hazor to reveal two later destructions, one at the end of the late Bronze Age and a subsequent one before the first Israelite occupation, if this theory were to remain credible. Yet, as the spade has shown, Hazor, after the destruction of the final Bronze Age city in a massive conflagration, remained completely abandoned until the initial Israelite settlement of the 12th century B.C. Okay, very good. As for the destruction under Joshua, Joshua chapter 11, verse 11, clearly states that he, Joshua, burned the city of Hazor with fire. Most archaeologists who accept the historicity of the biblical account thus link the massive conflagration of the final late Bronze Age city of Hazor to the fiery destruction accomplished under Joshua. Moreover, they commonly connect the later story of the seemingly independent defeat of Hazor's King Jabin, which is recorded in Judges chapter 4, to the destruction described in Joshua chapter 11. Yadin betrays his commitment to this conclusion when he notes that the narrative in the book of Joshua is therefore the true historical nucleus, while the mention of Jabin in Judges chapter 4 must have been a later editorial interpolation. Oh, recollection. Yeah, okay, very good. Therefore, at least according to Hazor's principal excavator, only one Israelite destruction by fire is commonly theorized. However, the picture painted in the biblical text does not allow for such a link between the great conflagration described in Joshua chapter 11 and the destruction of the late bronze 2B, circa 1300 to 1200 B.C. 
city of Hazor. As biblical chronologist Roger Young firmly established, 1446 B.C. is the correct year of the Exodus. And as the present writer demonstrated elsewhere, the Exodus can be dated even more precisely to the 25th of April, 1446 B.C. Wow. Thus, the conquest of the Promised Land began in 1406 B.C., 40 years after the Exodus. Numbers chapter 32, verse 13. Well done. Well done. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. even narrowed it down to the exact date. Right. That's that's fantastic. And so yeah. then uh the, the what what was was it? April twenty fifth, April fourteen forty six BC. Now there might be a problem with that exact date as the Israelites first practiced the feast of Passover uh you know, fourteen days after their invasion of Canaan land. You know, so that's that's a key to understanding mm-hmm. what happened in those days. So, uh, but uh, be that as it may, this is really an outstanding article in terms of finding the exact years, exact year and possibly the exact date of the conquest or the beginning of the conquest of Canaan land. Okay, very good. So let's get to the text. And I All think right. we're in Joshua chapter 12. Joshua chapter 12, verse 1. Now these are the kings of the land which the children of Israel smote and possessed their land on the other side, Jordan, toward the rising of the sun, from the river Arnon unto Mount Hermon, and all the plain on the east. Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and ruled from Aror, which is upon the bank of the river Arnon, and from the middle of the river, and from half Gilead, even unto the river Jabbok, which is the border of the children of Ammon and from the plain to the sea of Chinneroth on the east, and unto the sea of the plain, even the salt sea on the east, the way to Beth-Jeshmoth, and from the south under Ashdoth-Pisgah, and the coast of Og, king of Bashan, which was the remnant of the giants that dwelt at Ashtaroth and Edrai, and reigned in Mount Hermon, ah. and in Salca, and in all Bashan, unto the border of the Gesherites, and the Maacathites, and half Gilead, the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. Okay, now Mount Hermon is reputedly the uh, mountain where the fallen angels uh, descended. Okay, so this is very interesting that uh, uh, a, a, a giant, namely Og, would uh, still be living there. <laughs> Back to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Verse, verse 6. Them did Moses, the servant of Yahweh, and the children of Israel smite. And Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave it for a possession unto the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel smote on this side Jordan on the west from Baal-Gad in the valley of Lebanon, even unto the Mount Halak that goeth up to Seir which Joshua gave unto the tribes of Israel for a possession according to their divisions. Okay, and, and Seir the, is where the Edomites dwelt. Okay, so you're right. talking about the very north of Mount uh, Hermon and all the way down to the south were, uh, of Edom. Back to you. In the mountains and in the valleys and in the plains and in the springs and in the wilderness and in the south country, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, one. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. The king of Lachish, one. The king of Eglon, one. The king of Gezer, one. The king of Deber, one. The king of Geder, one. The king of Hormah, one. The king of Arad, one. The king of Libna, one. The king of Adullam, one. The king of Makeda one, the king of Bethel one, the king of Tapwa one, the king of Hefer one, the king of Aphek one, the king of Lasheron one, the king of Madon one, the king of Hazor one, the king of Shimron Meron one, the king of Aksapha one, the king of Tayanak one, the king of Megiddo one. The king of Kadesh won, the king of Jotnim won, of Jotnim of Carmel won. The king of Dor in the coast of Dor won, 
the king of the nations of Gilgal one, the king of Terza one, and one, and all the kings thirty and one. Okay, so thirty-one kings of Canaan were were killed by the Israelites, and obviously that would drive the people out <laughs> because they no longer had a king, and obviously did not have much of an army left either. Okay. All right, very good. So we see that this chapter is totally verified by current archaeology. Hooray! All right, chapter 13. Chapter 13. Now Joshua was old and stricken in years, and Yahweh said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remains yet very much land to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains, all the borders of the Philistines, and all Geshurai, from Sihor, which is before Egypt, even unto the borders of Ekron northward, which is counted to the Canaanite, five lords of the Philistines, the Gazathites and the Ashdathites and the Eshkalonites, the Gittites and the Ekronites, also the Avites, from the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Meera, that is beside Sidonians, unto Aphek, to the borders of the Amorites, and the land of the Giblites, and all Lebanon, toward the sunrising, from Baalgad, under Mount Hermon, unto uh-huh. the entering of Hamath. Okay. All the inhabitants of... Did you want to say something? Well, again, this is the, the understanding that Mount Hermon is where the fallen angels initially descended, that uh, this whole t- that explains why the Canaanites d- uh, dwelt in this land. Okay, they just landed there, and the Canaanites intermarried with these uh, well, so-called giants, right? And they, they probably were really, really giants. So uh, again, that's a, a really good connection that we need to understand. Back to you. Verse six: All the inhabitants of the hill country, from Lebanon unto Misrephothmaim, and all the Sidonians. Them will I drive out from before the children of Israel. Only divide thou it by lot unto the Israelites for an inheritance, as I have commanded thee. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance unto the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh, with whom the Reubenites and the Gadites have received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond Jordan eastward, even as Moses the servant of Yahweh gave them from Aurora, that is upon the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that is in the midst of the river, and all the plain of Medeba unto Dadmon, and all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, which reigned in Heshbon, unto the border of the children of Ammon, and Gilead, and the border of the Geshurites, and Maacathites, and all Mount Hermon, and all Bashan unto Salca, all the kingdom of Og and Bashan, which reigned in Ashtaroth, and in Edri, who remained of the remnant, remnant of the giants. For these did Moses smite and cast them out. Nevertheless, the children of Israel expelled not the Geshurites nor the Maacathites, but the Geshurites and the Maacathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. Oh, no. Oh. That's no good. <laughs> okay. Oh, they kept a few Jews living amongst themselves. <laughs> exactly. Oh, All right. Only unto the tribe of Levi gave he none inheritance. The sacrifices of Yahweh God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said unto them. And Moses gave unto the tribe of the children of Reuben inheritance according to their families. And their coast was from Aurora that is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that is in the midst of the river, and all the plain by Medeba. Heshbon and all her cities that are in the plain, Dibon and Baal and Baalmeon, and Jehazah and Kedemoth and Mephaath, and Kurthjathim and Sibma, and Zareth, Zareth Shahar in the mount of the valley. Oh, huh, maybe this, this might be this might be the origin of the name Zarathustra. There was a religion of, of Zarathustra in that territory. I've never heard of that. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, back to you. I think essay verse twenty and yeah. Beth Peor and Ashdoth Pisgah and Beth Jeshemoth and all the cities of the plain and all the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, which reigned in Heshbon 
whom Moses smote with the princes of Median, Evi, and Rechem, and Zur, and Hur, and Reba, which were dukes of Sihon, dwelling in the country. Balaam, also the son of Beor, the soothsayer, did the children of Israel slay with the sword among them that were slain by them. And the border of the children of Reuben was Jordan, and the border thereof. This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben after their families, the cities and the villages thereof. And Moses gave inheritance unto the tribe of Gad, even unto the children of Gad according to their families. And their coast was Jezer, Jezer and all the cities of Gilead, and half the land of the children of Ammon, unto Aror that is before Rabbah, and from Heshbon unto Ramath Mizpah, and Betanim, and from Mahanim unto the border of Debir, and in the valley Betharam, and Beth Nimrah, and Sekuth, and Zaphon, the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of Heshbon, Jordan, and his border, even unto the edge of the Sea of Chinnereth, on the other side, Jordan, eastward. This is the inheritance of the children of Gad after their families, the cities, and their villages. Okay, and so Moses gave in. So Sion, king of Heshbon, must have been a, uh, he must have been an overlord, uh, and the dukes of the various cities were subject to him. So this must have been a substantial territory. Okay. Verse 29. And Moses gave inheritance unto the half-tribe of Manasseh, and this was the possession of the half-tribe of the children of Manasseh by their families. And their coast was from Mahanam, all Bashan, all the kingdom of Og of Bashan, and all the towns of Jair, which are in Bashan, threescore cities, and half Gilead, and Ashtaroth, and Edrai, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan, were pertaining unto the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, even to the one half of the children of Machir by their families. So 60 cities. Country. Yes, quite a quite a populous area. They did a lot of, um, lot yeah. of destroying, didn't they? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. These are the countries which Moses did distribute for inheritance in the plains of Moab, on the other side, Jordan, by Jericho, eastward. But unto the tribe of Levi, Moses gave not any inheritance. Yahweh, God of Israel, was their inheritance, as he said unto them. Okay. End of chapter 13. Chapter 14. And these are the countries which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed for inheritance to them. By lot was their inheritance, as Yahweh commanded by the hand of Moses, for the nine tribes and for the half-tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of two tribes and a half-tribe on the other side, Jordan. But unto the Levites he gave none inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Therefore they gave no part unto the Levites in the land, save cities to dwell in, with their suburbs for their cattle and for their substance." As Yahweh commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest that the thing that Yahweh said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee and Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of Yahweh, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed Yahweh my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed Yahweh my God. And now behold, Yahweh has kept me alive, as he said, these forty years, forty and five years. Even since Yahweh spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so my strength is now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain whereof Yahweh spake in that day, for thou hardest in that day, how the Anakims were there, 
and the, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so, Yahweh will be with me. Then I shall be able to drive them out, as Yahweh said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed Yahweh, God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kerjatharba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. Okay, very good. All right, so the use of the term Kenizzite here, uh, the definition is uh, uh, Kenizzite or descendant of Kenaz, K-E-N-A-Z, Kenizzite, Kenizzites. So this could be a territorial name that uh, Jephunneh actually was the first one to attack that place, right? So they give him uh, that uh, pseudonym, for lack of a better word. Yeah, but this is—it's obvious he's not a a Canaanite, right? He's a descendant of Judah, all right. It's very obvious he's a descendant of Judah, and not a a Canaanite by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, all right. Chapter fifteen. Chapter fifteen. This then was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah by their families, even to the border of Edom, the wilderness of Zin southward, was the uttermost part of the south coast. And their south border was from the shore of the Salt Sea, from the bay that looked southward. And it went out to the south side of Maal Karabim and passed along to Zin, and ascended up on the south side unto Kadesh Barnea, and passed along to Hezron, and went up to Adair, and fetched a compass to Karka. From thence it passed toward Asmon, and went out into the river of Egypt. And the goings out of that coast were at the sea. This shall be your south coast. And the east border was the salt sea, even unto the end of Jordan. And their border in the north border was from the bay of the sea at the uttermost part of Jordan. And the border went up to Beth-Holga, Beth-Holga and passed along by the north of Beth-Araba. And the border went up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. And the border went up toward Debir from the valley of Achor, and so northward, looking toward Gilgal, that is before the going up to Aduman, which is on the south side of the river. And the border passed toward the waters of Enshemesh, and the goings out thereof were at Enrobel. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom, unto the south side of the Jebusite. The same is Jerusalem, and the border that went up to the top of the mountain that lies before the valley of Hinman westward, which is at the end of the valley of the giants northward. And the border was drawn from the top of the hill unto the fountain of the water of Nephtoah, and went out to the cities of Mount Ephron. And the border was drawn to Baalah, which is kirth jerim And on the border compassed Baalah westward unto Mount Seir, and passed along unto the side of Mount Jerem, which is Chesalon on the north side, and went down to Beth Shemesh, and passed on to Timnah. And the border went out unto the side of Ekron northward, and the border was drawn to Shikron, and passed along to Mount Baala, and went out unto Jabneel, and the goings out of the border were at the sea. And the west border was the, to the great sea, and the coast thereof. This is the coast of the children of Judah, round about according to their families. And unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a part of the children of Judah, according to the commandment of Yahweh to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. And Caleb broke thence the three sons of Anak, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. And he went up thence to the inhabitants of Debir. And the name of Debir was before Kerjath Sefer. And Caleb said, He that smite Kerjath Sefer and taketh it, to him will I give Aksa, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it. 
and he gave him Axa, his daughter, to wife. Axa had nothing to say about it? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, here's a prize. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Okay. Verse 18. That's uh, uh, who was the lady of Troy? You know, the, uh, the, Helen the face, Helen, yeah, the, the face that launched a thousand ships. <laughs> All right, okay. She must have been a real prize. All right, back to you. Yeah. Verse 18. And it came to pass, as she came unto him, that she moved him to ask of her father a field. And she lighted off her ass, and Caleb said unto her, What wouldest thou? Who answered, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me a south land. Give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the nether springs. This is the inheritance of the tribe of Judah according to their families. And the uttermost cities of the tribe of the children of Judah toward the coast of Edom southward were Kabzeel and Eder and Jagur and Kina and Dimona and Adada and Kadesh and Hazor and Ithnan, Ziph and Telam and Bealoth, and Hazor, Hadath, Hadata, and Kirioth, and Hezron, which is Hazor. I want to point something out here, verse 25. Okay. Um, you remember um, Judas, Judas yes. of Iscariot. This is actually yeah. Judas of Kirioth. Ishkirioth, man of Kir, meaning man of Kirioth. Right. This is where he was from. Judas, the one who betrayed our, yeah, our our Lord Savior. Christ. Amen. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So that was Ju- uh, Edomite territory, and actually the Edomites regained that territory later yeah. on in history. So that's absolutely correct. Now, uh, one more thing here. Given all of these place names, it should be really because all of these towns. And their or their remains still exist today. So how can anybody doubt that any of this happened? You know, they would have had to make all these place names up, right? And say, oh, well, this king, that king, etc. No, it's all documented. These kings and these places all existed. And how can you even possibly doubt this narrative? But you know, of course, mm-hmm. they do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they just dreamed up all these names. Yeah, right. <laughs> Verse 26, Amam and Shema and Molada and Hazagarda and Heshman and Beth Palet and Hazashushul and Beersheba and Bisjothjah and Beala and Im and Azim and Eltolad and Chesel and Horma and Ziklag and Madmana and Sanshana. And Lebeoth and Shilam and Ain and Rimmon, all the cities are twenty and nine with their villages. If they made up all this stuff, they did a pretty good job of Yeah. Them. Right. <laughs> yeah, so here's making 20, it hard to read. <laughs> twenty nine cities plus villages. So obviously well populated area. Mm-hmm. Zenon and Hadashah and Migdalgad and Deline and Mizbah and Jokfield. Lakish and Boskath and Eglon, and Kabon and Laman, and Kithlish, and Gedaroth, Bethagon, Naama, and Makadeth, sixteen cities with their villages, Libna and Ether and Asian, and Jipta, Jipta, and Ashna and Nazib, and Kila and Akzib and Marisha, nine cities with their villages. Ekron with her towns and her villages. From Ekron, even unto the sea, all that lay near Ashdod with their villages. Ashdod with her towns and her villages. Gaza with her towns and her villages. Unto the river of Egypt and the great sea and the border thereof. And in the mountains, Shamir and Jatir and Soka. And Dana and Kerjathsana, which is Debir. And, An- and Anab, and Eshtemah, and Anim, and Goshen, and Holon, and Gilo, eleven cities with their villages, Arab, and Duma, and Eshin, and Janum, and Beth Tapua, and Efka, and Humta, 
Kerth Jarba, which is Hebron, and Zior, nine cities with their villages. Maon, Carmel, and Ziph, and Judah, and Jezreel, and Jokdim, and Zadnoa, Cain, Gibeah, and Timnah, ten cities with their villages. Halhul, Bethzer, and Gedor, and Maarath, and Beth, Beth Anoth, and El, Eltekon, six cities with their villages. Kerjath Baal, which is Kerjath Jerim, and Rabbah, with two cities with their villages. In the wilderness, Betharba, Midden, and Sekaka, and Nibshan, and the city of Salt, and Engedi, six cities with their villages. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day. Okay. Wow. All right. So did they mix with them? <laughs> That's the question. That is the big question. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So this was the big failing of the tribes. They didn't drive them out totally and uh, let them live. And, you know, when you uh, let the parasites live, the parasites begin to infest your nation again, right? That's so, but they might have been keeping them in tribute. We can't mm-hmm. make, we can't jump to any conclusions here, but uh, nevertheless, you know, they, they should have gotten rid of the Jebusites. And, and also the city of Jerusalem, I think this is the same city, uh, formerly simply called Salem, where the uh, king uh, Melchizedek dwelt, okay? So at some point, uh, that city was uh, overcome by the Edomites. And so these must be all the dukes of Edom with their local territories and the cities and territories they rule over, okay? So I think that's what's being discussed here. And uh, quite a number of cities and people, wow. All right. A lot of cities, yeah. Yeah. All right, chapter 16. Chapter 16, and the lot of the children of Joseph fell from Jordan by Jericho unto the water of Jericho on the east to the wilderness that goeth up from Jericho throughout Mount Bethel and goeth out from Bethel to Luz and passeth along the borders of Archi to Adaroth and goeth down westward to the coast of Japhleti unto the coast of Bethoron, the nether and to Gezer. And the goings out thereof are at the sea. So the children of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim took their inheritance. And the border of the children of Ephraim, according to their families, was thus. Even the border of their inheritance on the east side was Adarothadar unto Beth Horon the upper. And the border went out toward the sea to Mechmetha on the north side. And the border went out eastward unto Teana Shiloh, Teanath Shiloh, and passed by it on the east to Genoa. And it went down from Genoa to Adaroth and to Naarath and came to Jericho and went out at Jordan. The border went out from Tapua westward unto the river Cana, and the goings out thereof were at the sea. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Ephraim by their families. Okay, so they, the they, sep- they had land that bordered the sea, so chances are it's not mentioned very often in Scripture, but the Ephraimites and the uh, Manassites uh, evidently were uh, shipbuilders and seafarers as well, but it's not uh, mentioned too often. Okay, back to you. <clears throat> and the separate cities for the children of Ephraim were among the inheritance of the children of Manasseh, all the cities with their villages. And they drave not out the Canaanites <laughs> that dwelt in Gezer. Okay. And the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites unto this day and serve under tribute. Okay, they serve under tribute. Okay, but that wasn't mentioned in the previous chapter about the... No, it Je- wasn't. Jeb- okay, so uh, that's uh, an interesting disparity there. Okay. All right. So it's probably safe to assume that they the others weren't living under tribute if they yeah, mentioned it here. They they should have been. And, and they should have been. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Chapter 17. 17 this there was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh for he was the firstborn of Joseph to wit for Machir the firstborn of Manasseh the father of Gilead 
because he was a man of war. Therefore, he had Gilead and Bashan. There was also a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh by their families, for the children of Abizer, and for the children of Helek, and for the children of Azrael, and for the children of Shechem, and for the children of Hefer, and for the children of Shemida. These were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, by their families. But Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mela and Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terzah. And they came near before Eleazar the priest and before Joshua the son of Nun and before the princes, saying, Yahweh commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brethren. Therefore, according to the commandment of Yahweh, he gave them an inheritance among the brethren of their father. And there fell ten portions to Manasseh, beside the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side Jordan. Because the daughters of Manasseh had an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. And the coast of Manasseh was from Asher to Michnathah, that lieth before Shechem. And on the and the border went along on the right hand unto the inhabitants of Entapua. Now Manasseh had the land of Tapua, but Tapua on the border of Manasseh belonged to the children of Ephraim. And the coast descended unto the river Cana, southward of the river. These cities of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. The coast of Manasseh also was on the north side of the river, and the outgoings of it were at the sea. Southward it was Ephraim's, and northward it was Manasseh's, and the sea is his border. And they met together in Asher on the north, and in Issachar on the east. And Manasseh had in Issachar and in Asher Bethshean and her towns, and Iblim and her towns, and the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, and the inhabitants of Endor and her towns, and the inhabitants of Teanak and her towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns, even three countries. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Uh Yet it came to pass, when the children of Israel were waxing strong, that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly drive them out. And the children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I am a great people, for as much as Yahweh has blessed me hitherto? And Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country, and cut down for thyself there in the land of the Perizzites and of the giants, if Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. And the children of Joseph said, The hill is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both they who are of Bethshean and her towns, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim and to Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people, and hast great power. Thou shalt not have one lot only. But the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, and thou shalt cut it down. And the outgoings of it shall be thine, for thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. Easy for you to say. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay, so again, they got a double portion because why? Because the double portion was a blessing of uh, uh, Israel upon them. Okay, yep. yep. Chapter 18, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. And the land was subdued before them. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes, which had not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are you slack to go to possess the land which Yahweh God of your fathers has given you? Give out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them. And they shall rise and go through the land and describe it according to the inheritance of them. And they shall come again to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall abide in their coast on the south, and the house of Joseph shall abide in their coast on the north. 
You shall therefore describe the land into seven parts and bring the description hither to me that I may cast lots for you here before Yahweh our God. But the Levites have no part among you for the priesthood of Yahweh is their inheritance. And Gad and Reuben and half tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave them. And the men arose and went away. And Joshua charged them that they went to describe the land, saying, Go and walk through the land and describe it, and come again to me, that I may hear cast lots for you before Yahweh in Shiloh. And the men went and passed through the land and described it by cities into seven parts in a book and came again to Joshua to the host at Shiloh. And Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before Yahweh. And there Joshua divided the land unto the children of Israel according to their divisions. Okay, so the leaders of Israel were literate. They wrote it in a book, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, a lot of uh, secular archaeologists dispute uh, whether there was writing. You know, they claim that the Canaanite language preceded the Hebrew. There's no possibility of that. That's that's absurd. Okay, Moses and the Ten Commandments. Written yeah, right. <laughs> no, that's all fictitious. That never happened. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, um, we got a couple minutes. You want me to go ahead and get? Yeah, I think uh, we can uh, maybe get through this. Yeah. So, okay. Verse eleven. And the lot of the children of the tribe of Benjamin came up according to their families, and the coast of their lot came forth between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. And their border on the north side was from Jordan, and the border went up to the side of Jericho on the north side, and went up through the mountains westward. And the goings out thereof were at the wilderness of beth And the border went out from went over from thence toward Luz, to the side of Luz, which is Bethel, southward. And the border descended to Atarothadar, near the hill that lies on the south side, near Beth Haran. And the border was drawn thence and compassed with the corner of the sea southward. From that hill, from the hill that lies before Beth Haran, southward, and the goings out thereof were at Kerth Jathbaal, which is Kerth Jath Jerim, a city of the children of Judah. This was the west quarter. And the south quarter was from the end of Kerjath-Jerim, and the border went out on the west and went out to the well of waters at Nephtoah. And the border came down to the end of the mountain that lies before the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is in the valley of the giants on the north, and descended to the valley of Hinnom, to the side of Jebuzi on the south, and descended into Enrogel, and was drawn from the north and went from Enshemesh, and went forth toward Gililoth, which is Sorry. over against the going up of Aduman. Okay, it doesn't and look the, like we're going to be able to finish this no. today. We're in the last minute, so we'll pick it up in Joshua chapter 18. And it's, I think it's interesting that the uh, uh, children of Benjamin in Christ's time lived directly north of Judah, but, uh, of course, the uh, Samaritans uh, took up in between. So we'll see if we can get that uh, geography straightened out. Uh, but it looks like uh, so far the geography is pretty much uh, close to what we realize in the New Testament. Okay. All right. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Right. See you next time. Bye-bye. See, see you next week.